Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckettes join me shortly in our topics this week. The issue of taxing becomes a taxing issue. Should more tax dollars go to elected officials? And there's a growing number of folks in Kansas hoping to become elected officials, plus roast and toast. But we start with our newsmaker segment and talk about major changes being planned for the Truman Library and Museum. The Independence Facility will undergo a $25 million renovation and close for about a year. To talk more about the changing facility and about the Truman legacy is Library Director Kurt Graham. Mr. Graham, welcome back to Ruckus. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I think the last time you were here, two or three years ago, we talked about the fact that you were planning a major change at the Truman Library. That change is about to come to fruition. It is about to come to pass, and it's amazing. People, people think of this as a new thing that we've all of a sudden thought had this idea to renovate the library. The reality is this has been three and a half plus years in the making. Yeah. Uh, give us, if you would, a general overview of what, what's being planned, what people will see when the library finally opens about a year from now. Well, this is the single biggest renovation that has been undertaken at the Truman Library since it opened in 1957. This is a complete redoing of all of the exhibits on both levels. It involves a modest expansion to the building itself, a a new entrance on the east side where people park that will make access to the building much easier, a much more natural flow to the exhibits as the visitors come through. So it is going to be a completely different experience when people come back in a year and see what we have to offer. And this is going to remain open for a few more days, I think. A few more days. We close on July 22nd. Monday will be our last day open to the public, so you've got a week to come and see us. That last weekend, uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday will be free to the public, so we hope plenty of people will come by and say goodbye to an old friend. So what happens to you when, and the staff when the library is closed? Well, people have the impression that we're going to put our feet up and kick <laughs> back for a year and just not do anything well, in particular. Well, that's what I thought. Yes, is I, that I, true? Well, I wish that would be true, but the reality is overseeing the installation of a project like this is not without its challenges. Uh, the staff will be very busy involved in that, getting the artifacts and documents ready to go back into the, uh, back into the exhibit. So uh, there will be a lot of work to do. Plus, we'll continue to do programming and continue to do media events and that kind of thing. It's been a long time since Harry Truman was president. He took office in 1945 mm -hmm. after the death of Franklin Roosevelt. Truman was the vice president, elected in 1948, out in 1953, back home to Independence. What were some of the reasons we would think of him now as a consequential president? Well, I think if you pick up a newspaper and you read a headline, you'll find that it relates to something that Harry Truman had to deal with. Everything around the world, I mean, here's a man who literally changed the map of the world. Uh, Korea, uh, the Middle East. A man who won World War II, or at least was commander-in-chief World War II absolutely. came to an end. No, no, he had a profound impact on, on the nature of the world, you know, the, the advent of NATO, these kinds of things. All of this that, that influences the world we live in today, we can thank Harry Truman and for that. And he okayed dropping two atom bombs on Japan. Yeah, yeah. He, he, the I only mean, time in world history atomic bombs have been used. He's the only president who knew what it was like to put that many people to their death at one time. And that influenced, I think, the way he made subsequent decisions. He's known as a great decision maker. That's, what, that's why we still talk about Harry Truman. 
he, uh, he was thrust into office at a time when he had to make incredible decisions about the future of this nation and the future of the world. And he did so in such a way that it's memorable. And he integrated the military? His civil rights legacy is, is incredible. His recognition of Israel, um, the fighting of the Korean War, his service in World War I. There's so many things about Harry Truman. You know, he goes and fights in the war when he doesn't have to. You know, he's, he's way past the age when he had be bad drafted. eyesight, eyesight oh, as well. Right? Many reasons why he should not have gone, but he did anyway. He was outspoken. He was blunt. Mm -hmm. He told people what he actually believed. Yeah, yeah. He said, uh, you know, he was known as Give Him Hell Harry. He said, I never gave him hell. I just told him the truth, and they thought it was hell. <laughs> uh, and something I find interesting is that when Truman left the White House in mm -hmm. early 1953, he was not a popular president. Took a train, came back to mm -hmm. Kansas City, where he stayed for the rest of his life until his death. Right. But with the passage of time, he's become a very popular president. He left office with some of the lowest poll numbers in recorded history. Uh, low 30s, 30, 32, 33 percent. And now is consistently ranked as the fifth or sixth most important president in our history. And, and he spent his life in Kansas City after leaving the White House, as I mentioned, and he spent a lot of time at the Truman Library greeting people. He, he built that library as his post-presidential project. He considered Independence, Missouri, the center of the universe. And he not only said that, he lived that. He, he loved this area. He came back here. He had lots of options. He could have gone a lot of different places. But he chose to come home to this area and spend his... And he didn't have a lot of money. No, no, he didn't. I mean, the, he had to write a book and do some TV projects. That, that was how he made his money was with his memoirs. But he refused to serve on corporate boards and, and get high, high dollars for speeches. He said they don't want Harry Truman. They want the president. And the presidency is not for sale. Got to stop you there. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank and you. Good luck with the new facility. Look forward to coming out and seeing it when it opens. I hope you will. Thank you. I certainly will. That's Truman Library Director Kurt Graham. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Dustin Morris is with the Singularis Group. Jamika Kendricks is an educator and education activist. Jeremy LaFavor is a former Missouri State Rep and is now with LaFavor & Associates. And attorney Laura McConwell is a former mayor of Mission, Kansas. Welcome to all of you. Thank you very much for coming in. We have much to talk about, so let's get started. When most people say they're facing a taxing issue, it usually means they're having trouble resolving some sort of difficult situation could be about almost anything. But when Jackson Countyans say they're having a taxing issue, they are literally talking about a taxing issue. The dramatic increase in property tax estimates, thousands have filed appeals, a class action lawsuit has been filed, and the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, in a departure from its usual stance, calls for a tax cut. This is not a new issue for Jackson County. So Jamaica, do you think it's finally about to be resolved? I think we have taken a step in the right direction. Um, I do agree with uh, the legislature that for a long time our properties have been undervalued and so this brings a bit of sticker shock. I also am concerned that um, in doing this there are some people in communities that have been regentrified or that have been gentrified that will be pushed out because we didn't put provisions in place when we were going through the gentrification process to ensure that they wouldn't be um, priced out of their homes um, due to tax increases, especially for those on um, fixed incomes. However, I don't think prolonging the process is the answer. Um, I think what we need to do is start to think about um, 
what can we do to ensure that as we are gentrifying and redeveloping different parts of the city, that we are not pushing people out? What can we do to make sure that in the future we don't have the issue of undervalued properties so that people feel like, oh my goodness. Well, what's going to happen to these people who are getting 200, 300, 400, 800 percent increases? They're not going to be But able I to think pay some that. of them, you for a long time, you have not been paying taxes on your property well, at the appropriate rate, and you they knew did, it. They didn't estimate but how they much had tax an appeal they process. Pay. So if you knew that you paid 160 thousand dollars for your house and they valued it at fifty thousand dollars the same way you can appeal when they overvalue or under or overvalue it you could have said you want you know people what? to go My back in and say you're not charging they could enough have. In taxes? i'm not saying they should have and that i expect them to but they could have <laughs> uh, Justin, so you can't put uh, all the onus on the county other than appealing the process which thousands have done and uh, they've been given three more weeks to to file appeals what else can a property owner do if anything in this case, probably just about nothing. I think to, to have been more honest and open about where your home was valued at, I think some homeowners are to blame, and I think even some realtors are to blame. I've been reading articles that said uh, realtors were selling these homes saying, yeah, you're going to get it for this great deal, but you're going to be paying mm -hmm. this very low undervalue on your property tax. That's just disingenuous, well, and that's the, wrong. I was going to say, one of the things that they can do... I, I, I do appreciate that they're following the law. They should have been yes. following the law, and so that's what's created the sticker shock. But I think the um, Kansas City, Missouri, you know, the legislature and the city council can also look at what their, do they call it a mill in Missouri, their mill rate and figure out what their revenues are coming in based on these new raises mm -hmm. in values so that it doesn't create a windfall. Uh, and I don't know where they are in their budget process to be able to incorporate that. Mm -hmm. So they can, I mean, there are things that they can do to adjust if the values have gone up so much. And the funny thing with values are is nobody wants to have a high-valued home when they pay their taxes, but everybody wants the value <laughs> exactly. when they're going to sell. And, exactly. and Jeremy, I think there are several governments involved in this, are there not? Yes. Uh, yes. This is not just the county government. It's a compilation of governments and their requests for property tax. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's governed by... Uh, the county, but certainly the, the board state of equalization, local, uh, uh, ex or get some revenue from from property taxes as well. So, is there any role for the incoming mayor and the incoming city council to do something about this? I think there is. What would it be? Um, like I was saying before, I think that um, the council. Um, has a lot of influence over where development happens in Kansas City and how it's happening. And so I think as we are looking at where we're developing and what this looks like, they can start to think about what impact well, does the increasing Well, that's the future. Values, what, what about the past? Um, what about what has just happened? I don't know if there's anything they could do retroactively. I do agree with Lauren um, <laughs> on what she said about looking to see if we can reduce taxes. Um, so we'll that, reduce the mill. Re reduce the mill so that it's not you know so much that that's coming out of pocket. But I don't know that there is anything you can do retroactively. Jeremy, you think there will be people displaced as a result of this? People having to give up their homes? There may be some folks that are, uh, have been not paying enough in taxes that will no longer be able to afford it but for any other thing if if somebody says I want whatever the item is but I can't afford the taxes on it well then you can't afford that item and while that's unfortunate in a lot of situations that's the reality of what we're dealt with but, there are things but, but that the, the county, county government is and the state to, can do to blame with this because when people are selling these homes and they're being told you're gonna get a great deal on your property tax because the county's not looking at it that does price some of the people who've been living in those neighborhoods it for generations. And there's well, things that, that they, the state and the county can do to, to alleviate those, those property taxes. And, and we really has. don't know what the final tax bill is going to be, no. as I understand right. it. The Board of Equalization meets. 
later in the year and by fall, the official yeah. price for taxes is released. Well, I think Jamaica's talking about like a lady, Mrs. McFadden, that used to babysit us sometimes when my mom was out of town, my folks were out of town, that was a widow woman that lived over in Kansas City, Missouri on a fixed income. And so just because people are doing teardowns and rebuilds and so their properties may be worth a whole lot more, you don't want to price her out yes. because she really can't afford to live anyplace else. And so they could, that's, I don't, I don't know. And how there's programs that, that I think that they can look at where you can, you can delay that tax payment until the property is sold. And then once the property is sold, you use the, the sales the to, to, to pay for the back taxes. And see, Missouri is about to provide affordable housing. Isn't that one of the goals of the new it council? It is one of no. the goals of the new council, right. but that doesn't mean it. Well, I think they should talk about it. I mean, they need to talk about it. This is, I mean, it, it's a concern. Yes. Well, we're through talking about it. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> that was so we're, neat. <laughs> we're going to stay with the topic of taxes. Kansas City, Missouri residents have spent the last several months listening to candidates for mayor and the council outline how the city's tax dollars should be spent. There were probably no references to using any tax revenues to increase salaries for the next mayor and new council. Yet an increase may likely be approved this week. It is not the new council that will decide, but some of the next council is part of the current council that will. Salaries have not increased since about 2010. The proposed hikes would take a council member's salary from roughly 61000 to just over 70000 and the mayor's about 19,000 higher to 141,000. So how will increasing these salaries, if that occurs, get over with the public? How will the public respond to that, Jeremy? Well, I think initially the public, you know, will have, you know, the outrage that you're baiting right now is it will be. I'm oh not God, baiting any oh, outrage. I'm in favor. I, no, I'm in favor of them getting increases. I think political figures, elected officials, ought to be compensated well, the, for what they here's do. Here's a moment where we're in absolute agreement. I know, and it's painful. <laughs> uh, the, the public will be, you know, faux outrage for a little bit, but the next thing will come up on Twitter, and and they'll be distracted by it. You have to have a competitive salary that uh, is enough to get somebody out of their small business or their law practice or their teaching profession or whatever to say, I'm willing to serve in this public office. Otherwise, you get people who are largely unemployable but for their ability to put up yard signs. By the same token, Laura, as someone who has run for office and held office, when people run, they probably know what salary they're likely to receive. Yeah, you do. Um, you know, in Mission, I, I got a thousand dollars. You paid my, the city, didn't you? I got twelve. Yeah, my, my salary was twelve thousand dollars a year, and admission was not a full time job. But when you're an elected official, you're expected by your constituents and anybody who wants to come in and do business to be available twenty four seven. So it does really impact your business. So I don't I don't begrudge them an increase or getting paid. For the work that they do, I think they also have some staff, and they and they have a, a budget to be able to to do things for the city and go to national league of cities. And yeah, I, I that's that's just I not mean, a big issue. Jamika, is it a problem that uh, some of the people who presumably will vote for an increase in salary will be the recipients of those increases? Some of the um, current council who will be on the next. I don't council. think that's an issue um, because 
I think they're going, like, yes, they're going to benefit from it, but I don't think they're going to vote yes just because it's for them. I think they probably would have had the same vote whether they were on or not. <coughs> However, the thing that um, bothers me the most about salary increases is when we don't have clear expectations for what it is you do when you get that office. So I know um, about four years ago when the last council race was happening, um, there were council members who were current council members who were saying, oh, this is a part-time job for them. And so for me, it was frustrating because at that time you're making $60,000 and in the third district, the average income was 22. So you're making three times what people in your district make and you're calling it part time. That's not OK. So if right. we're going to give increases, I think that also needs to say this is your full time job. That's yeah. what we expect from you. And this yeah. is what we expect to receive. Dustin, you're a consultant of sorts, are you not? Is yep. that fair? OK, I have an idea for the mayor or somebody on the city council <laughs> if this pay increase is approved. What would be the public relations benefit of the mayor or a council member going public and saying, I won't accept that increase? I, th I think it would be a positive if, there, if there's equal outrage that it's being met with, but I think Jeremy's kind of pointed out that it'll well, be even if, there, so even it'll if be there's not outrage, the guy says, I, you know, I don't want any more money. I'm, I'm happy to serve at, at what I thought would be the salary. For, I want the money to go back into the budget. They just had an election. It, 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 it so would win some short-term praise, and you can maybe run on it again. But it, yeah. I really don't think they should be taking it. It should probably go to a vote of the citizens if they're going to be paying these folks. But if you look at other cities around the metro, uh, there's some cities where the city council members and the mayors, it's part-time work. They're not paid at all, and the city services are better. I would rather see this increase go to paying higher wages for city staff, hiring new city staff, hiring police and firefighters, or fixing the potholes. It would cost well, I, a lot more, Jamaica, to have an election, would it not? Uh, to, to have a yeah. vote on whether they should get more money? <laughs> it would cost us probably not more than this. I think well, you just put it on the yeah, ballot. Yeah, on right, well, I was going to say, the, the amount of money we're talking about is a, a just a drip in the bucket in their overall budget. And I think you take every every increase and in the dollars that you spend seriously but also i don't know that you kill a fly with a sledgehammer and i don't know yeah. that this is this is not going to Im dramatically impact the budget so these pay raises can be enacted and nobody is going to much care except the people who receive the increases and they'll be delighted I mean, they will for a moment like jeremy said but it's like the people who are going to be outraged it'll be for a second and then they'll get well, i'll be happy for the new mayor and council if they get an increase how about that I'll be right right. the prospect <laughs> of a U.S. Senator from Johnson County, while still remote, is not impossible. State Senator Barbara Bollier, who, while holding office as a Republican, often opposed party leaders and party positions, officially became a Democrat late last year and now may be running for the U.S. Senate. The retired Mission Hills physician met recently with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer to discuss a possible campaign. She's not alone in considering a bid for the seat now held by retiring Senator Pat Roberts, former U.S. Attorney Barry Grissom, and former 2nd District Congresswoman Nancy Boyda are also expected to run. The last time Kansas elected a Democrat as a senator was 1932. Not even I was alive then. So will 2020 be the year the Democrats' losing streak is likely to end in Kansas? And we'll start with a Kansan, Laura. Well, you know, I hope not, but I think a lot of it's really going to depend on who the who cans who the Republicans pick coming out of that primary. 
is where it's What do you think be. about Bouye? Does she have any chance to win a Democratic nomination until like a few months ago she claimed to be a Republican, but obviously was not? You know, I, I, I Barbara does not consult me on her political decisions, so I don't know what she's going to do or what she's going to not do. Well, I, she's clearly I, talking about it and well, thinking about it. Well, she's clearly talking about it. I do, I do think that some of your more hardline Democrats are probably going to have problems with her because she switched parties. I, so I don't know that she's going to come through a, a Democratic primary because of that. But, you know, I don't know. So I, there are a lot of people that are getting elected that I didn't think would be elected. So I don't know. <laughs> like President Trump, for example? Yeah, I do. Uh, Jeremy, That's wouldn't true. Democrats love a woman who uh, had been a Republican but always criticized the Republicans and their positions and defected? Um, to the, wouldn't she be an ideal candidate? I think... Uh, uh, Senator Bollier would be an ideal candidate for, for Democrats in Kansas in particular because the Kansas electorate is, uh, particularly when it comes to the Democratic side or soft Republicans, it's less partisan and, and they're able to uh, switch back and forth. And certainly if Chris Kobach is the Republican Party's nominee, I think that will do an awful lot to, to help her. But I think the Kansas electorate would be interested in a, in a senator like that. I, I want to include Dustin here. Uh, what about the, this idea of Bollier running as a Democrat in Kansas? Do you think 2020 is a year when Kansas Democrats may get a seat in the U.S. Senate? I, I, th I think it is. Uh, right now they have some interesting uh, and potential candidates that may run. Um, if I had a doomsday clock in, on the wall in my office, I'd put it four minutes to midnight for Republicans because on, on both sides, fortunately for Republicans, it's been amateur hour in terms of campaign launches and execution. We've got over... For example? Uh, well, Chris Kobach uh, spelling his name wrong. Um, well, he they, didn't spell it wrong. It was spelled wrong by somebody on his staff. Right, but that comes back to him, and he said he's hired a new staff to fix all the problems of his previous <laughs> campaign, and he starts off with problems now. But Dave Lindstrom, the way he announced was just following reporters on Twitter to announce. And Susan Wagle's uh, group that she's working with now has had a flub and prematurely launched her, her donate website out to the public. And even on the, the Democrat side, it's not really really coming together right now. But they don't, they don't have the expectation of Republicans to execute and win a campaign. Jamaica, why do people change political parties? Is it because they've changed over time? Is it because the parties have changed over time? Or is it because they realize they might have a better chance of getting elected if they change parties? Seeing as how I'm not an elected official that changed parties, I can't say for sure. But I think it could be some of all of that. Um, I think uh, the... Parties themselves do change. We've seen that with the Democratic Party um, over the last, what, eight years. There's been a lot of changes made there, even with the Republican Party. Um, I think also that sometimes as you get more information, if you're a person who's open to learning, um, some of your positions change because you've got some information that contradicts and you kind of rethink that, and so you move. And I think um, in this case, we had... Um, I can't think of her name. Barbara? Barbara. Boyer. So Barbara, um, she was having a lot of alignments with what the Democrats wanted. Um, not well, she was never a Republican. To right. Okay. So, so we say that. that, but that's what she chose to be. Which is true for be. a lot of Kansas Republicans. Um, I think, it, I think people pick the party that they think is going to propel them furthest when they're politicians. And so she aligned more with Democrats and believes that that's her way to get in. Uh, and so that's why quick, she moved. Quick final question. Uh, are people too quickly dismissed? Chris Kobach? No. 
Uh, no. I didn't ask over here. Uh, <laughs> you mean as a candidate? <laughs> as a, as a, a guy who could win. Um, unfortunately, uh, yeah, no. I think you can't dismiss Chris. I'm, and it, yeah, Chris is about Chris. In fact, I kind of did my little laundry list on Chris on well, all the reasons why he should run. We don't have time to do the laundry You are so mean today. I'm not mean. I'm trying to keep on time. That's okay. We're time good. now for the soapbox and roast and toast where the Ruckets have 30 seconds each or however long they choose to take to scold, uphold, or fold. Up first is Laura. Oh, no, I am sending out a big shout-out for our United States women's soccer team winning World Cup. I'm very excited to see those women um, on the world stage and what awesome and wonderful athletes they are, and I hope that everybody watched. I enjoyed watching those games. They were great. All right, Dustin. Uh, Rose this week to Chris Kobach. He can win the primary. I don't think he'll win the general election. Uh, congressional Republicans across the state received 100,000 more votes than he did, and I don't think you can say there's much daylight between him and the Republicans that were running for Congress in 18. We're going to have a Republican on the panel someday. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy? <laughs> and my, to follow up Dustin's, my toast is for Chris Kobach as the Democrat. I think him launching his campaign, <laughs> spelling his name incorrectly, and proving to everybody how incredibly incompetent he is, while also being the odds-on favorite, gives uh, the Senate Democrats a great chance to pick up a seat in Kansas. You can't imagine how many times Shannon has been misspelled. All right, Jamika. <laughs> um, I want to give a roast today to my favorite person, Betsy DeVos. Oh, I thought you were going to... No, not you. I'll do you next time. Um, Betsy DeVos, um, because she has um, decided that private colleges no longer have to meet the requirement of proving that um, students can get uh, employment afterwards um, in order to continue to receive federal funding and instead doing a scorecard that is not tied to federal funding. And I think if you receive public dollars, it should not just be for profit. All right, and finally, here is a toast to George Will for his new book, The Conservative Sensibility. Will defines sensibility as more than an attitude and less than an agenda. The book is dedicated to the late Senator Barry Goldwater, described by Will as a cheerful malcontent. And frankly, Jamaica, I think that is a good way to describe me as well. Okay. <laughs> and that is Ruckus for this week. We are back next Thursday at 7. Now for the Ruckus and the crew, I'm Mike Shannon saying thanks very much for watching and good night. Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees and by viewers like you. Thank you.